the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. So often, members of local churches have this mindset that it is their pastor or the staff who are to be the primary witnesses of Christ to the community. The pastor is the one who's responsible on behalf of the church to share. He is the official evangelist to share the gospel, or that it's only people who are career missionaries. They're the ones who are called by God to be witnesses. That's so wrong. That's so unbiblical. These early believers, all of them, thousands of them, they understood that the great commission by Jesus was for them, and that they were all to be his witnesses wherever they went. chess, you know it's important to be thinking several moves ahead of your opponent. While the Sanhedrin, no doubt, thought that by killing Stephen they would eventually destroy the church, God was way in front of them. He was playing four-dimensional chess, many moves ahead. Welcome to the final broadcast in our series, Stephen's Defense Before the Sanhedrin. On today's broadcast, I want you to listen for the positive things that came from the death of Stephen. Pastor Steve is going to expand on the three positives that were mentioned in yesterday's broadcast. Namely, persecution forced the believers out of Jerusalem. As they dispersed, the believers shared the gospel wherever they went, and the door was open for Samaritans to receive Christ as their Savior. Now here is Pastor Steve. Although Luke tells us about a number of issues related to Stephen's death and Saul's horrible persecution against the church, there is one very positive thing to come out of this, which is that the congregants of the church were forced to flee from the city of Jerusalem. And I say that this is positive because Jesus had told them back in Acts 1-8, before he ascended to the Father, he had told them that the gospel was not to stay in Jerusalem. It was to spread to Judea then to Samaria, and finally to the outermost parts of the earth. But that couldn't happen as long as these Christians who had the gospel remained in the city of Jerusalem. So God made it happen. He forced this to happen, and he did it by bringing about persecution that pushed these Christians to leave their comfortable settings and to scatter into the regions of Judea and Samaria, those areas in Israel outside of the city of Jerusalem. Today, that area is known as the West Bank. In the Bible, it's known as Judea and Samaria. Folks, it's an important truth, an important principle for us to think about and to learn. See, there are times in our lives when some very tough things may happen to us so that we find ourselves 
out of our secure comfort zones. Maybe we find ourselves in a new job. Maybe we find ourselves in a new and unfamiliar school. Maybe we find ourselves in a new city, a new community, a new neighborhood. And though we may feel very insecure about our new surroundings, it may very well be that God has orchestrated all of this to place you in those new surroundings so that you would be a witness to somebody. Maybe he's put you in a new job because he wants you to share the gospel with a new fellow worker. Or he's brought you to a new school because there is somebody there he wants you to minister to by reaching out and befriending that person, maybe more than one. Or he's placed you in a new city, new neighborhoods, new contacts of people who need to hear about Christ, and you are his chosen vessel to tell them about the gospel. Listen, sometimes we forget that we are never to become so comfortable in this world that it would be a real battle for us, a real struggle to be uprooted and planted in some new location. We have to remember that first and foremost, we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Therefore, we are foreigners in this sinful world. We're just passing through on our way to glory. We're pilgrims. So make sure that if God shakes things up in your life by putting you in a new environment, don't fight him. Don't fight him. Trust him. Submit to his sovereignty in your life and recognize that his reason for doing this is because he's chosen you. And what an honor that is to be his instrument to witness to somebody. It's exactly how these Christians from the church of Jerusalem, how they understood this. They understood why they were being uprooted from their homes, scattered throughout other areas of Israel. And we know that they understood this because as Luke continues telling us about what happened to the church following the death of Stephen and the persecution that follows and that happened, he tells us of a second positive thing that occurred as a result of this great man's death. He tells us that secondly, Stephen's death resulted in the dispersed believers sharing the gospel wherever they went. Notice verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. With these words, Luke is now explaining to us. He is interpreting. He is clarifying what God was doing in bringing about the death of Stephen and the ensuing persecution led by Saul. What he was doing was moving thousands of believers out of the city of Jerusalem so that wherever they went, they spread the gospel. It's time. Move on. That's exactly what they did. Luke says that those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now, although this is a relatively brief sentence, there are a number of critical truths found in this statement. First of all, One thing we learn here is that the members of the church, the ordinary lay people of the church, recognized that it was their responsibility to evangelize the lost. The people of this church, thousands of them, understood it wasn't simply the leaders of their church who were called to do the work of witnessing, but they were all called by God to witness. In fact, the leaders of this church, the primary leaders, the apostles, they couldn't do what they were doing because they were back in Jerusalem. So listen, so often members of local churches have this mindset that it is their pastor or the staff who are to be the primary witnesses of Christ to the community. The pastor is the one who's responsible on behalf of the church to share. He's the official evangelist to share the gospel or that it's only people who are career missionaries. They're the ones who are called by God to be witnesses. 
That's so wrong. That's so unbiblical. These early believers, all of them, thousands of them, they understood that the great commission by Jesus was for them and that they were all to be his witnesses wherever they went. They understood that. Do you understand that? I hope so. Do you understand that wherever God has placed you, he has placed you there to witness for him? Now, we don't force doors open, but as God gives you opportunities, you share. So be looking for those opportunities to lovingly tell others about Christ. Don't become so caught up in your circumstances and so self-absorbed that you fail to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in bringing people to you to witness to them about Christ. God has placed you in your environment to be a witness, so be one. And listen, I want you to know, this is not simply a contemporary application of what we see here that I just came up with this week. It's actually the point of this verse, and I'll show you why I say that. The specific Greek word that Luke uses here for scattering has the thought of scattering seed, as in sowing seed. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce explained it this way. He said, there are different words for scattered in Greek. One means dispersed so that the item is gone from that point on, like scattering a person's ashes on the ocean's waves. That is not the word used here in verses 1 and 4. The word used here means scattered in order to be planted. That's exactly what God has done with you. He has planted you in a special place so that you would bear fruit for Jesus Christ. You are not in your neighborhood. You're not in your state. You're not at your job by accident. You're not at your school by accident. He's planted you there. So recognize his sovereign leading in your life, his work, his will by witnessing for Christ. You've been planted there. Second critical truth we find in the statement, those who had been scattered when about preaching the word, is that in speaking to people about Christ, they focus on what they should have been focused on. They preach the word. What does this mean? When Luke says preaching the word, he's not using the word preaching in an official or technical sense, like preaching from a pulpit. It's not the word he uses. The word for preaching here that he uses means to evangelize. It means to share the good news about Jesus Christ and that there is salvation in him. There is forgiveness of sins based on his death on the cross. It is the good news that they were sharing. He's not talking about standing behind a pulpit and speaking. Now, what strikes me about the fact that these scattered believers shared the gospel with others is this. They obviously understood what the gospel was. They obviously understood the gospel and they knew how to tell others about Christ and salvation. And you know what? They should have known the message. Though they were young in the faith, they should have known the message of the gospel because they had all been sitting under the best teaching you could possibly get apart from Jesus. It was the teaching of the apostles. It doesn't get any better than that. Acts 2 verse 42 says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The people of this church had devoted themselves, Luke says, to the apostles' teaching. Listen, what he means is they sat there and they soaked it up. They listened, they soaked up like a sponge what these men were teaching them. And so when they dispersed into the world, they knew what they believed. And they knew how to articulate what they believed. Question is, do you? Do you? If you have been in a Bible teaching gospel preaching church for years, 
and have sat under sound doctrine, and you don't know how to tell another person about salvation in Christ, then I say, shame on you. That's a disgrace. Shame on you. You don't have to be an expert witness for Christ, understanding all the nuances and the complex intricacies of the gospel, but you should be able to intelligently and clearly explain to someone the meaning of the cross and how they can be saved. You ought to be able to lead someone to Christ. You ought to know how to sit down with someone and explain the plan of salvation. And if you don't, then you need to do a better job of listening to sermons. You need to do a better job of going to Sunday school and listening to your teachers. And you should take notes and you should be going over them and you should be thinking and be devoted to what you're being taught. Otherwise, you're wasting time. Third critical truth I see about the believers being scattered and sharing the gospel is that while persecution is obviously a very difficult thing to go through for the church, it often is an indication that God is judging a certain group of people who are behind the persecution. Why? Because of their persistent rejection of the gospel. And likewise, that he is being merciful to another group of people by now blessing them with the opportunity to hear the gospel. This certainly is what we see in this text, what happened in Jerusalem, due to the ongoing stiff-necked rejection of Christ by the Sanhedrin, the official ruling religious leaders of Israel, God took the gospel message away from them. And in his kindness, he gave the message of salvation to those in the regions outside of Jerusalem, namely Judea and Samaria, places that had previously not heard about Christ. Now, that didn't mean that God was finished with Jerusalem, that he was finished with the people of this city, because the apostles, they were still there. And as we read later in Acts, Christians did return to the city, some of them, and the church was still there to give testimony for Christ. But understanding what persecution is means that persecution, by the way, is a means by which God advances the gospel. That is a great truth. That is a great encouragement. Because while we may tend to view persecution today as only a negative thing, since it appears that it stifles the spread of the gospel around the world, as we read about hostile environments and governments that are shutting down churches and throwing pastors in jail, and people in those countries are physically attacking, even killing believers. But listen, when we read about those things, it's important to keep in mind that These persecutions, these are the very means by which God advances the gospel into new territory. As believers in that part of the world, they usually are forced to flee for their lives and they move on to other communities, other areas where they now begin to tell people about Christ. As Luke continues conveying what happened to the church at Jerusalem after Stephen's death, he specifically singles out one such group of people who were now being blessed to hear the gospel due to persecution, as he tells us about a third positive thing that happened after Stephen's death. And that is that Stephen's death opened the door for the Samaritans to receive Christ as their Savior. Verses 5 through 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. 
having already told us about all the congregation of the church leaving the city, being scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Luke now chooses to focus on one member of the church and his particular evangelistic ministry. He tells us about a man named Philip, not the apostle Philip. There was an apostle named Philip, but this isn't him. This man is one of the original seven deacons of the church who have been chosen to serve along with Stephen. You can read about it in Acts 6, 5. Now, this is the Philip from Acts 6, 5 that Luke is telling us about. Later in Acts 21, verse 8, he is called specifically an evangelist. And here we see him doing the work of an evangelist as he travels down from Jerusalem to the city of Samaria. Samaria was an area, but it was also there was a city of Samaria. And he begins proclaiming Christ to the people who were living there. It is a significant advancement of the gospel, not only because those who lived in Samaria were not Jewish, and this is the first time since the death and resurrection of Christ that the gospel has gone to non-Jews, but also because, watch this, this This was such a radical act of love on the part of Philip. You see, historically, there was tremendous hostility between Jewish people and Samaritans, so much so that the Apostle John, in explaining about Jesus engaging a Samaritan woman in a conversation, he stated in John chapter 4, verse 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But here in Acts 8, we read that Philip, a Jewish man, chose to bring the gospel to the Samaritans in spite of the tension and hostility that existed between them and Jewish people. So who were the Samaritans and why was there such hostility, but also why was this such a loving act on the part of Philip to bring the gospel to them? Here's the way John Stott explained the situation. He said, it's hard for us to conceive the boldness of the step that Philip took in preaching the gospel to Samaritans. For the hostility between Jews and Samaritans had lasted a thousand years. It began with the breakup of the monarchy in the 10th century BC when 10 tribes defected, making Samaria their capital, and only two tribes remained loyal to Jerusalem. It became steadily worse when Samaria was captured by Assyria in 722 BC. Thousands of its inhabitants were deported, and the country was repopulated by foreigners. In the 6th century BC, when the Jews returned to their land, they refused the help of the Samaritans in the rebuilding of the temple. Not till the 4th century BC, however, did the Samaritan schism harden with the building of their rival temple on Mount Gerizim and their repudiation of all Old Testament scripture except the Pentateuch, that's the five books of Moses. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews as hybrids in both race and religion, as both heretics and schismatics. John summed up the situation in a simple statement that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But listen, regardless of how the Jewish people despise Samaritans, and likewise the Samaritans despise the Jewish people, Philip felt compelled to reach out to them with the gospel. And by doing so, what he did, he went against the prevailing thinking and the culture of his day. Luke tells us that he proclaimed Christ to them, which simply means he told them that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. See, understand, even though the Samaritans rejected most of the Old Testament, except the first five books of Moses, they did believe 
in a coming Messiah. They did believe in the coming of the Messiah. And you can see this, by the way, in our Lord's conversation with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. As you might recall, during their conversation, this woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. And when that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. And I love these words by Jesus. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So they understood the Messiah was coming, and Philip goes and preaches that Jesus is the Messiah. So like the Jewish people, Samaritans were also looking for the Messiah. Philip shows up. He says, I know who he is. I'm going to tell you about him. I'll explain the significance of his death on the cross. And Luke tells us that Philip, as he's preaching, drew crowds of people who listened to him. And why did he draw crowds of people? Well, they paid attention to him because he also performed supernatural miracles. He was very tied in with the apostles. He performed these miracles, which authenticated him as a true messenger of God. And in verse 7, Luke even lists some of the miracles done by Philip. Demons, he tells us, were cast out of people. And they were shouting with loud shrieks as these demons exited their victims. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And as a result of many people coming to faith in Christ, and obviously the numerous physical healings that took place, we read in verse 8, there was much rejoicing in that city. So what do we learn from Philip's actions in taking the gospel to the Samaritans? And why was this such a positive thing? Listen closely. What Philip did in proclaiming Christ to the Samaritans, that was a radical, radical thing in his day because it was a bold declaration that the gospel comes with no racial prejudice. He took the message of Christ to a people who were despised and looked down upon by his society, and he showed love to them by bringing them the hope of salvation. And by doing so, he was making a very loud statement that the church that Jesus is building does not discriminate. It is not racist. It does not have any second-class citizens. All are welcome to Christ, and all who accept him are family with equal status and standing. Listen carefully. Because although by now over 2,000 years have gone by, 2,000 years since Philip made this bold statement that Jesus and the gospel are not prejudiced, not racist, there are still many Christians today who have not understood this because they still look down upon those whose skin color is different, those who speak in a different language than they do. Praise God that we have the opportunity to take the gospel to many Samaritans in our culture. Listen, the death of Stephen was a major blow to the Christian community. But God was not shaken by this. God wasn't surprised by this. It was his sovereign plan all along to use the death of this great man to advance the gospel. He used Stephen's death to force the church to move out with the gospel. And he does the same thing today. He often uses adversity in your life and in my life to put us in new places, places we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves because we're insecure in those places. We're out of our comfort zone. But he has shaken our lives so that we'll be in a place to share Christ. See that. See his sovereignty in your life. And he used Stephen's death to advance the gospel as thousands of Christians spoke about Christ wherever they went. They were just unleashed in the world. And that's what we're to do. But make sure that you know the gospel and that you can articulate it. And he used Stephen's death to open the door for despised Samaritans to receive Christ as their Savior, just as he gives us open doors to share the gospel with people who are despised and looked down upon 
in our world. So praise God. Praise God that he is sovereign and that nothing can thwart the advancement of the gospel. Nothing can thwart it. It will go wherever God chooses it to go. And if the gospel has never been received in your life, then I urge you to receive it now. The gospel means good news. It is good news. It is good news because before the good news is the bad news. The bad news is we're all condemned to hell unless we trust Christ because Christ died for sinners like us. When you trust him as your savior, he forgives your sin. He gives you the righteousness of Christ on your record and that is the good news. So if you've never let the gospel penetrate your heart, do so today. It may be too late tomorrow. Make sure that he is your savior. Trust him. Trust him. Turn from your sin. Place your confidence in him for salvation. We have just finished another excellent series with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I've been blessed. I hope you have also. Besides the great depth of teaching we have received, there have also been many great applications for our own lives. If you would like to go through this series again, I would recommend you sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast at versebyverseradio.org. The podcast link is on the right-hand side of the page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Now that we have finished this series, I would like to invite you back for the next series on Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Creelo. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.